Hello, and welcome to Comic Book Herald's interviews. I'm the Houston founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I am joined today by the creators of the unlikely story of Felix and Macabre. It's Hassan, Otsman, Elhau, and Juni Ba. We are here to talk with the writer, artist, letterer, colorer. They do it all. They do it together on The Unlikely Story, which is a graphic novel that will be out soon from Dark Horse Comics here in October 2023. It's an exciting work. Uh, thanks to both of you for joining. You, as listeners, may know both of these creators from their other fantastic works as well. Of course, Junie's got a lot. Like, uh, Jelia, is the last time we talked to you, Junie, was, was Comic Book Herald Interviews number 48 um, for that work. And when we've had Monkey Meat Sense and a whole host of others. Uh, and, and Haas here has uh, led the Eisner-winning panel by panel, critical uh, uh, comics magazine, um, or com magazine of comics criticism, which is fantastic. It won an Eisner this past year, um, shortly after I contributed my first piece, which I feel like is uh, highly uh, uh, related, <laughs> <laughs> even though probably yeah. the Eisner voting window did not include my one article about mind management. Um, but and then and then Haas has also lettered approximately one third of all the good comics over the last several years. Uh, which is which is pretty pretty fantastic as well. So I'm super excited to have both of you. Uh, Haas, let's start with you. How did the two of you connect on the unlikely story of Felix and Macabre? This was, I mean, this was a long time ago now. Uh, I, this was 2016, which is, how many years ago is that? Four, is that eight years, seven years ago? Seven. Eight years seven ago? and change, yeah. I think it was 2016. So I'd started doing a YouTube uh, series called Strip Power Naked, where I was like, uh, which I, it still exists, so you can still watch it, yeah. where uh, I uh, talk about some little fun thing about sort of comics visual storytelling. And um, I feel like Junie had emailed me maybe from that and had just said, like, this was, this was fun, like, this was quite cool, it's quite useful sort of thing. And um, I have no idea why we started talking to each other. I think I'd see, I think he'd sent me some comics, and I thought that they were incredible. And I was like, I want to be friends with this dude. Yeah. And he was just like, you know, he he was just like, oh, I just wanted to send you some comics. And then I was like, you're not leaving until we're friends from this email chain. Um, <laughs> and I think it was, I, and I really, I, I can't remember. I genuinely can't remember. I, I don't know if we were just emailing, and then we just talked about comics. Uh, and I can't remember if I pitched him to like work on something, even though I had no idea what, it, what I would want. I just saw his stuff and I was like, it would be cool to work with this guy. Um, yeah. And then we just started speaking a bunch. I think we just did like a few like Skype calls and uh, it felt, I felt like it felt like we had stuff in common. It felt like we had like some sort of sit vague, vague similarities in our backgrounds and things. Uh, we both had connections to French colonies. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't, it's just just those little things, and we were like, oh, you know, we we just talked a lot, basically, about comics and just about life and stuff. And um, I really can't remember where, like, if if us making a comic was the first thing we talked about. It could have been. I should have done more prep uh, in anticipation for this interview, um, or if it was a case that that came up as we were chatting. But we just got chatting, man, and, and, and I think we just got on with each other. I mean, I'm so, what's great is you've asked me this first, and then you'll go to Judy, and he'll be like, none of that is true, and I didn't like talking to him. <laughs> so this is, I'm hoping that he backs the story up and that he also says that he had a good time chatting with me. But uh, we, I think we just became friends, and, and you know, we just bounced ideas around from it with each other, and, and this this idea just kind of came from a from from half from him half from me from some different um ideas like i've done a documentary about wrestling and we chatted a little bit about that and junior's just incredible at uh designing things and coming up with ideas and you'll you'll say one thing to him and he'll email you a day later with like a thousand sketches of different characters and ideas and things and that's just what happened i think it just went from us chatting about something to him starting like come up with these ideas and it all just started to snowball it's really hard to say, like, because it wasn't it wasn't a case that like I wrote this comic and then he drew it. It was like we talked it into existence, yeah. <laughs> and then it just it just kept going and kept going until it was finished. Basically, it's it's a mm. it's a really strange, uh, like, but also to me it was like a perfect uh, way of making a comic. It was really interesting, um, but but weird, but also really weird. Sure. 
Sure. I well, I was I was fascinated, Junior. I want I want your version of events to to compare to here. <laughs> but um, I was fascinated that this had been in the works for seven years. You know, it's definitely not something I realized uh, when I read it initially. Um, Junior, kind of how how uh, I guess you know, kind of corroborating Haas's story, but then also kind of how has it evolved over that time, as uh, as you yourself have kind of evolved artistically. Uh, well, so. The way I remember it is that basically I I graduated from art school using the strip panel naked um, YouTube channel a lot. Like I, I, I had comics to make basically to graduate and I yeah. used videos like I discovered it during that year and I used it a lot to figure out how I would construct my storytelling basically. Um, so once I graduated, I thought, okay, how do you like who should you reach out if you want to start making stuff? And Hass was one of the first people that I sent messages to. Uh, and I think it took him like something like a month to reply. <laughs> like the message I sent was something along the lines of I made this comment who was in part thanks to the, the channel you made. Uh, if you know anyone who might be interested in something like that, like pass it along. And yeah. it took him a month during which I remember being like, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't have done that. Maybe that was like improper of me. Maybe he thought I was just an asshole. I, anyway, um, but he ended up res responding, but his response was like, yeah, because like I asked, could you like pass this book along? His response was, no, we're going to do something together. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then just like he said, we started talking and he, I think he asked me like, what do you want draw what you like to draw and I said monsters and he came up with the this idea of like the wrestling thing and the monsters wrestling and then the rest is exactly how he described it, it was just discussions about I don't know whatever weird thing and ideas and um there's one scene in the book that's like um Felix on, uh, at breakfast with his parents and that was taken directly from something I told him about what it was like having uh, meals with uh, my mother and my stepdad when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same vibe. And I drew them exactly how my mom and, st and stepdad look, uh, which is also why I'm scared of the book coming out now. Um, as, as, as monsters, it's not best. They're monster monsterified versions. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the, the mother has the same hair as my mom and the, the dad has the same mustache as my stepdad. Um, and yeah, like the. It was a very organic process. And because I don't think either, either of us had any experience working with other people yet. Mm -hmm. So we just made it however, how it felt right, I guess. And then now to the rest of your question, I'm seven years later and like we had to wait a long time, mostly because I think when, when we first started working on it, we had a few people who were interested, but it never really panned out or it never got the funding it needed. Um, and then seven years later, we have a lot more clout, I guess. So it's easier to get books published. Sure. Uh, and, uh, we also have a lot more experience of like how things are usually made. Um, which is also why, like, I usually, I usually say that I, because this was my first experience, it's kind of, it's kind of spoiled me. I don't, I'm, I don't really like working on off of someone else's script most of the time because sure. that experience was so organic and so collaborative uh so which is part of the reason why i work on my own stories most of the time i just prefer that system uh yeah like it was, I, it, it was as i say it was weird right because it was i remember we what well, i remember we we did like five, I, I think i scripted five pages for you and I, and I was very like, you know, like, oh, I'm like Alan Moore, right? I'm going to break this down. I'm going to put so much detail into this thing. I'm going to be like, yeah. we should have this and this and this. And then I think I've scripted five pages and then Junie, I give it to Junie. And so this was after we talked a bunch or whatever. Uh, it wasn't just like cold, but I, I'd scripted it like full script, uh, really detailed. And he he turned around and sent me back like 10 pages or something. And he was like, this this is what those five pages should be. <laughs> uh, and it was and it was actually ten pages, and he and he done all these incredible choices, and I was like, "This is fast." And I, and I and it was such a it was such a great moment. I don't know for how 
much he enjoyed that, but it was a great moment for me because I was like, <laughs> okay, it's sort of, I got his sensibilities really quickly from being able to see the choices that he'd made from my script. And yeah. so after that, we taught and we were like, what do you, I said to him, like, what do you, you know, what do you actually need from me in terms of the script? Like, you're making such interesting choices without me. Do you still want me to make those choices? And we came up, we, we came up with this, uh, I don't. It's not. I don't think it's necessarily unique to us. But we we come up with like a version of a script of a comic script that worked for what Junie needed and what I sort of needed to get on the page, yeah. which was very open. There's all the dialogue was in the script and everything like that. Kind of like all the key beats were in the script. But I wasn't. I wasn't directly calling out panel counts or unless I saw. You know, I think in some cases I was like, oh, maybe we should do it like this. Or what about this as an idea to give him some some inspiration or whatever. But I moved away from being like page 15 should have six panels you know it shouldn't it should be three tiers or whatever yeah. it was very much like you know what you need to do with this uh but this is what i think and i broke it down into the beats that i thought should be in each panel but without being like panel one so it would just be on separate paragraph lines or breaks or whatever um and so it was it was a it was a strange thing where it was i don't i don't, I, I wouldn't give that script to anyone else and be like this is a, a script for you to work off of. mm, i don't think that right. would be right but we yeah. found this this kind of, and even in that case, you know, I'd still give him a page, and he'd be like, "Yeah, this should be six pages." So <laughs> sure. I'm just gonna yeah. I'm gonna make this into a massive spread instead, or whatever. Well, it's good. I mean, it's good to have found that that balance, right? Because I, I think it's Kieran Gillen has a bit about that I've read before, where he talks about you know, comic scripting at its best is kind of like you're writing a letter to a friend, you know, in a lot of ways, where you're just communicating like, here's how the story should be communicated, as opposed to I think the sense that a lot of fans or, or new readers come into the business where it's like, Oh no, like it's a screenplay. And then the artist takes that and translates it, which obviously can function that way and has functioned that way. Um, but certainly not always. So let's talk a little bit more specifics about the work here. Um, the unlikely story of Felix and Mac. Uh, this is a, it's kind of a classic young, naive, bullied little monster finds the grizzled old vet who lives in you know the spooky house along the way and they form an unlikely friendship it's kind of that uh but then it breaks a lot of those tropes i think like you said the grizzled old vet here is a monster wrestling champion who is you know kind of kind of retired and hiding away in his old age also has this past history of you know kind of violence and trauma um first question with all that is so you've got Junie's kind of like cartoon network meets Mike Mignola aesthetic right these incredible <laughs> monsters you've got a young character in Felix who is I think going to be very identifiable to young readers right how do you think about audience for this book um, because there's a case to be made right for an all ages kind of kind of marketing or mm -hmm. whatever maybe even middle grade, but I certainly can't lock it into a particular demographic. Um, Junie, let's start with you. When you're working on it, are you are you thinking about that at all? Like like who like the who it for who's it for kind of thing? Nope. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was not and I know well we had multiple discussions about it. Like yeah, a few times during the process because uh, the, the main not concern, but like the main question was is this too sad? Yeah. <laughs> uh, is this too sad for kids? And my personal view is that it's not mostly because it's, I think it's one of those stories where, um, like even, even just receiving the scripts as we were making it, I was invested in it and, and where it was going, especially because I feel like it's one of those stories where you get more of, more of out of it as you, as, as you get older. Um, and, yeah. and your perspective shifts from understanding maybe Felix more and then you, the older you get, the more you start understanding Mac. And so we didn't have a specific audience in mind, but I know that very much when I was working on this, like I wanted to, I wanted it to be fun, I guess. Like I wanted to be, I wanted to be able to make a story that like it takes this very heartfelt story and then makes it still very fun and enjoyable to go through for a kid. Mm -hmm. which is why you have all like there's a lot of humor and there's a lot of cute designs and uh a lot of moments of levity in it despite the fact that you also get moments of like 
grizzled old men uh, crying over how sad they are about all the bad choices they made in their lives. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a balance, I guess. So yeah, I, I would say it doesn't, it, it, we weren't necessarily making it with like one specific audience in mind, but we definitely wanted kids to be able to get something out of it. And then more and more as they get older, like the type yeah. of book keep in your house. Yeah, definitely. Haas, how, how did that, that thinking and those conversations influence kind of how you shape the story? Yeah, I think it, it, Junior summed it up well, which is, I think it's that we wanted it to be, uh, not that it's, listen, Toy Story is on, a, on another level, right? But Toy Story is, 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 a, is a film where like a kid will watch Toy Story and uh, it's fun and it's like toys come to life and that's really cool as an idea and that's and it's kind of like light and these guys have a little squabble, etc. But I think if you watch that as film as, uh, as an adult, your experience of that is a little bit different than if you were watching it as a kid. Like what you're taking from it is quite different because of mm -hmm. the experience that you've had in life that a child has not had. Um, and we wanted it like that was always in my mind of like the book is about that that disparity dis is that a word I like it if not uh, I'm taking it uh, well now now I can't unhear it so yeah let's go with it <laughs> <laughs> it's about the difference in the book is really is about a difference of experience between what you experience as a child and what you experience as now but like that's kind of like a the structure of the whole book mm -hmm. um i just got lost watching junie's cat in the background but um but it's about that so the, the idea was in my like head and what we talked about a lot when we were making it was we want something where as a as a younger reader you're gonna there's a there's a story for you to follow and I, if you come back to that book in 20 years uh, after having read it you're going to get something else. If you're an adult, if you're the parent of the person reading it, you're probably going to get quite a different experience than your kid who reads that book. Um, because Not that you'll necessarily gravitate towards one of the other characters, but their relationship, I think, is is uh, allows opportunity to have different experiences. Um, and so that was part of it, which is also, like Junior was saying, kind of part of the issue with uh, convincing people to re read it, I think. Because on one hand, it feels, it looks like a certain thing, but uh, the idea the, the idea was always that the book would ha ha try and surprise you, I guess. Um, yeah. It feels very egotistical to just say that we pulled that off, but it, it sets up a kind of story, and then yeah. uh, it doesn't necessarily take you on that story, uh, which was intentional <laughs> to an extent. So it's kind of like, you know, we were. I, I was aware when writing it of having of trying to balance those two different things. It's very difficult to do. To try, uh, you know, it's up to people to decide if we if we managed it. But that was always the the a big part of the book was balancing this younger reader with a potential older reader, or even just that same younger reader that would come back to the book later on. Yeah. No, it's interesting to hear you both of you say that. I mean, I think that is like the platonic ideal, right? Of the of the all ages story, where like everyone can like the Toy Story thing, right? Where it's kind of like you can have in impact at various ages. Obviously, I, I always say that seems like the hardest thing to achieve in storytelling to to write something or, or create something that is genuinely as appealing to a seven year old as it is to like, you know, a 40 year old. Um, incredibly, incredibly high degree of difficulty. I do think this work is successful in in um, breaking outside of the kind of the tropes and the expectations of all ages or middle grade. I mean, I, so I, I have my oldest is six right now. So I'm thinking about this all the time in terms of comics that are for kids and kind of as he is reading advances, you know, what will be sharing. And I find myself in the kids library section with him and I'm going through all the books. Right. And there's a lot of great stuff in there. But one thing as I read more that I'm finding is there are so many that fit the same template, like the exact same structure. And there's a real sort of homogeny and sameness that creeps in. Um, where they're all like, oh, yeah, like Jen Wang's great. Let's do a Jen Wang. And it's, you know, and, and you get this like, oh, Rain is successful, right? And you can feel this sort of seeking a known market approach. Um, so it's it's kind of comforting. And I guess I would tell listeners just to, to find comfort in both of you saying like, eh, yeah, we're not like uh, we're not chasing that because I, I think that's where you can run into problems when you're like, we the all ages is huge right now. Let's chase that market. And then it becomes less about the story and more about like, well, what, how does that structure typically work? Um, I think if we were smart, we may have done that. Uh, <laughs> sure. and, and like in terms may, of sales, may, maybe. Yeah. 
<laughs> we may have got the book out sooner uh, if we if we were smarter. Uh, but it was, you know, it's it was a hard. Uh, it's just it's just a hard it's a hard balance. And again, as I say, like I don't, I'm not going to be the one that says like we pulled it off. But it it was it's in, it, it, integral to like the DNA of the thing that it sets up to be something and then doesn't necessarily take you where it tells you it will go. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want like, you know, it's not, I'm, spoilers on, there's not really much concern about spoilers to me in this sort of thing. But like, you know, it, it, it really, I think the opening pages is, is like, you may read the opening page and be like, oh, I can see where this thing is going. And I hope that by like page sort of 50, you're like, oh, this isn't what I thought they were about to do with this book. Yeah, If that's good or bad, that's that's down to the reader but i that was you know that was something we talked about as a kind of big part a big part of the structure of it i had i had that exact experience i was like the first yeah chunk of it i was like oh i know what this is and this is fun i'm enjoying living in this world i like these monster designs and then yeah about a quarter of the way through i was like oh this isn't doing what i thought it was going to and then definitely by the end i which i will not spoil <laughs> I was like, oh, this is like, to Juni's point, I was like, that's kind of sad. It's <laughs> kind of a bummer, man. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you, we, play, I, I, there was, you play with there it. There was yeah. a few people I sent it to uh, when, in, you know, in getting quotes and kind of sharing it around and stuff. A few people I sent it to who were like, oh, do you know what? Like, because I sent it to a few people who I work on like horror books with. Uh, and they were like, oh, yeah, it'd be nice to have a break from kind of like the intense uh, sadness of like the stuff. And I was like, then don't read this. I <laughs> <laughs> it might look like something on the surface, but um, yeah. I don't know. Again, it's just fun. It's fun to it, it's it's fun to be able to try and pull that off. I, I'm too British and polite about this to say if we succeeded. But like Junior, I think, is more confident uh, to say that we have succeeded. But, um, you know, it's fun. That's, it's fun to try and pull something like that off. Yeah, for sure. Junie, there's a lot here touching on themes of violence, the legacy that leaves, the way it turns into more violence, you know, kind of the whole hurt people, hurt people yeah. adage. Um, this is something that you have another book coming out around the same time, Mobilis from TKO, which is wonderful. Um, similar themes. And it feels, I, I listened to an interview you did on, on the Comics Collective with Dallas, which is a really good interview, um, where you talk about how it's really a lot of personal uh, kind of trauma and and your own history that you're weaving into these narratives, how how vulnerable does that make you feel? And like, is it? Are you worried about it getting out in the world? Is it cathartic to have put it on paper? Like, how how do you feel about it now? Uh, it is extremely cathartic, and I guess I'm. I was I was gonna say I'm not worried about having it in, into the world, but my like the, the, a month ago, my dad. I gave a, a copy of a Mobilis to my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one of the main inspirations for for Nemo, yeah. and, and to understand, you need to know that my dad really isn't into like sci-fi and fantasy and stuff like that. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't really like. He doesn't like it at all. Yeah. Um, but he decided to read Mobius, which is not what I was expecting him to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember sending a message like in panic to my friends of like my dad is about to read Mobius, I need to hide. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think there's an element of that of like I put a lot of myself and my own personal history into the characters that I that I make and the stories yeah. that I tell. And I think it's because on some level like there's a cathartic aspect of being able to make sense of what happened by giving in a structure in a story. Uh, like even right now I'm writing a character and I'm struggling because I have to put myself in the shoes of, of someone I know who's had a huge impact on my life and it's hard. Um, but I also, he can't imagine me. He could never imagine people. That's the, that's the struggle he's having. It's a glorious hair he's got. in a book someday anyway. Um, the, 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 the thing is I don't expect those people to actually read the stuff that I do. So like, I, I hide maybe, I don't know, like, um, so yeah, like there's, there's a lot of like personal elements to it, which is, I think what makes it work. It is very cathartic because it allows me to sort of, it's, it's a form of therapy, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. Um, and it's also very useful because like you have. There's something kind of funny that happens when people read your story and then tell you what they got out of it, where mm-hmm. it's sort of like 
they they develop their own opinions about uh, or their own reactions about the feelings you have and that you put into into a story right and it's kind of like talking to a mirror in some way but like a mirror that has their own experiences their own way of seeing the world and sometimes mm. even give perspectives you didn't necessarily have before mm. so it's a it's a way of like it's a way of communicating with the outside world i guess yeah yeah i was that's interesting i was definitely i was struck by the similarities in theme between nemo and mac in these yeah. books and then just kind of the the hilarity that it was like well they weren't done in sequence because they're, they're coming out at the same time but it's like you know one story was started seven years ago and then mobilis it sounds like was within the last year or so yeah that you were kind of returned to that um what what do you think after six years a lot's happened in your career what do you think you were able to bring to mobilis and the character of nemo that you didn't know to bring to mac back when you started on that work I hadn't had the okay, so I think the main difference is that I went through one a pandemic and two a long like a several month long interaction with someone who is very much like Nemo. Yeah, and it's one thing to sort of base characters on your dad or people that you know, and um, and plus like the writing was done by Hass, so it came a lot from his brain. For sure. And on my end, making Nemo, there was more of a, I want to do a story about two people in a confined space who try to figure out how to, how to live with each other, despite all the baggage that they have. Mm -hmm. and, and the complexities of the fact that sometimes you just can't have the ending you wished you had. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so it started like that, I guess. And then you add all the, the anxieties about like the end of the world and all that stuff, which came at the same time as like, uh, yeah, like wars and climate issues and pandemic. And like, the, it, there was just like, like it, there was a compiled list of anxieties on top of each other, yeah. both on the personal level and on the world stage level. So like the Mobius was sort of me taking all of that stuff and putting it all into one book. Uh, but I know that like the parent-child relationship is something that I tend to come back to. Even the stuff that I'm doing now, I'm doing specifically because I'm working on a character who has existed for like almost 20 years and who from the get-go I found interesting because of his relationship to his parents. Hmm. Uh, and the whole thing of how do I figure out what kind of person I'm going to be compared to these role models that I was given. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it is a thing that I like to work on and, but I think I'm reaching the end. Like I'm, I'm doing three books that are going to be about that. Mobius was the first one. I'm working on two others. And then I think I'm going to be moving on to like other things. And then there's monkey meat where I just make stories about whatever. Is there, I, since you mentioned it, this was, this was a question I was going to say for later. Do you plan to return to monkey meat, which is a fantastic image comics anthology came out in 2022. Do you see yourself going back to that world? Oh yeah, it's planned. The the okay. story will be ready and everything. Like there's a, there's a full volume that I just need to draw. But the, like it's one of those things of like projects pile up on top of each other and then you don't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Haas, do you find yourself uh, with with Felix and Mac? Is there a similar level of kind of therapeutic? working through things um are there are there areas where you're like i'm really nervous for this person to read this thing do you do you have that kind of relationship with it i'm uh i'm quite nervous for everyone to read it i'm um <laughs> if if no one read it i think i'd be happy uh, but also <laughs> not happy yeah. but also not happy at the same time um, yeah, yeah I, the thing is it's like it's one of those things where it's like i don't it's not so much that it's specifically like a relationship that I've experienced, but it's not that it's not a relationship that I've experienced. It's I, so it's not so it's not so heavily modelled on anything. Um, this is a really way of talking around that question, but it's there. There is a lot of like people in my family in the characters in that book, um, 
but not not there's i don't think there's any specific interaction that i'm like oh someone's gonna read that i'd be like uh yeah you, sh- you just you just made me a monster in that book you did <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh so i don't i don't think it's to that level but there is a lot of like this is something that we've talked about a lot this, this idea of like um like my you know my dad came from a very specific place uh in the world is what i mean uh and uh, had a very particular upbringing that was not necessarily common to a lot of the people that i grew up with as a kid yeah. like my experience of childhood i think was was quite dr- different for a, a multitude of, of reasons that being one of them um and that's that's one of those things that you don't know like you just you, i don't think you're aware of that sort of thing until you get older uh, which is part of what the book is about as well. Is that like right. my experience as a child? Uh, I just I just thought that that's kind of everyone was having a similar experience as a child. And this isn't this isn't necessarily even just related to my dad, but just just generally that experience of uh, my upbringing through my parents and their how kind of felt specific their life was and how that impacted upon me. I I just look at other kids and be like, well, they that, they must just have a similar thing going on. And it's only when you get older that you you have the wherewithal to understand that everyone's got a unique childhood, everyone's got a different childhood. So the thing that was going on with you was not the same that was going on with everyone else. Um, and there was a part of that, I think, from that I experienced anyway, where I uh, didn't handle that very well. And I think some of that might has, has is in that book. Yeah. Um, and the kind of essential, the big, there's again, I don't not ruin too much of what happens in the comic but a big part of the comic is like this idea of like realizing as you get older that uh some of the decisions that you make in life are not necessarily we're not necessarily of as much free will as you may have believed them to be but mm. the, the people that were around you and the other adults that you look at uh, as a child to to kind of like mold yourself on as you grow older um they may not have been the best role models uh, for your life. Um, and again, that's only something you realize as you get older. I, my, one of my favorite things is, uh, the, the, I don't know if you, either of you have seen After Sun, the film that came out like was it last year. Uh, a, a big part of that film is about a, a, a daughter growing old and then understanding how to see her dad as a person for the mm. first time. And I think that's a really fun, uh, well, not necessarily fun, but fun thing to experience. As you get older, you start to see your parents uh, as people, as like human beings, rather than just like your mum or your dad. You right. get to see them as like fully realized beings. And there, the problem with that is that you realize that when you're a child, they, they were like your protector. They were important. They You felt like they understood what was going on at every moment. They were in control of things. And then you get older and you realize it's just people making insane decisions on a daily basis. And uh, you are just too young to realize that. <laughs> and so I know I don't mean this uh, about you as a parent, Dave. So <laughs> no, everything I do but... is very intentional. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's it's that thing where it's like you as you get older, like, as an as an adult now, uh, I did that in air quotes. I'm like, you make decisions, and you just think like, ah, I have no idea if this is the right thing to do in this moment for for my life or the future or whatever. Um, but you you when you're a kid, you see a parent make these crazy life decisions, and I well when I, when I was a kid, I was like, that person knows what they're doing. Like that's someone that's got firm grasp of life. Uh, and then yeah, you get older and you realize. I mean, they're just, people are just freewheeling it. Like people have no idea what's going on. Um, yeah. And that is that was. I, I I don't even know what the original question you asked me was, but that's <laughs> this, where this is where it ended up. But that was a big part of it. That's that's that I put into the book was I think just experiencing having going through that understanding that uh, uh, I've gone so way off your topic. I'm so sorry, but um, yeah, just that <laughs> just that fine. feeling of of growing older and seeing that adults around you also have no idea what the hell is going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we focused a lot here on, this is all in the work and it's, it makes it complicated and it makes it interesting, I think. And, and it gives it value, right? It gives it meat. Um, but at the same time, I do want to emphasize for those who haven't checked it out yet, right? There's a lot of levity here and there's a lot of fun and there are monsters wrestling. And I, one thing I really enjoyed is a lot of this story is told wordlessly um, there's a particularly great sequence where these uh, saliva knights come into the picture and they communicate entirely through like iconography, like swords and monster icons. Um, was that once you got that, like, that's a cool, really fun idea. Was that hard to commit to? 
to be like, okay, we have to like, like Junie, did like, did you like the process of like, okay, these guys are only going to communicate via symbol. Like how, like, was that fun? Was that hard? Did it get tedious? What do you think? Uh, he knows why he's laughing. Um, (laughs) I kind of shot myself in the foot in that it was my idea at the beginning. Mm. Uh, and I love drawing them. But then he also gave me a full page full of nights. <laughs> I remember, I remember this, this script says, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And, and to this day, my friends still, because like my friends have a bookshop that I work at uh, often. And uh, they, I drew it something like two or three years ago. And they still make jokes about how much I cursed the day I was working on <laughs> That was one of those things, though, where where Junie had like I feel like this. If I'm remembering this wrong, let me know. But I feel like you had sent me a drawing of like because um, wrestling is kind of like a part of it, um, mm-hmm. and Junie had sent me like a bunch of like masked luchadors that uh, like they were. I think and I think they were the original saliva knights. They were like masked luchadors that grew from like a dragon saliva, um, and then. I don't know at what point they became knights. I think the story needed them to be knights, maybe, <laughs> over the course of it. It's like the luchadors made less and less sense um, as we went on. Uh, but that was one of those things where he... I've got, like... I mean, I've, we've got, like, a, a folder of drawings of monsters that just never even made it into the book, where mm. Junie would just be like, I've just drawn this monster. It, can we do anything with this? <laughs> and so sometimes it was like, yeah, perfect. Like, I feel like that's what happened with... Um, Okay, so there's this fun thing with like monster wrestling where we call it wrestling, but it's actually fighting, right? It's like real, real fights yeah. between people. So like Colosseum gladiator battles. And I have no idea how we, I think it's junior. I feel like it's a junior decision. We have for the referee of these fights is this giant bat and the bat like flies down on top of the Colosseum. And then the, the like, the sort of like the mood lighting of the fight is the fact that like the bat wraps itself around the Colosseum with its mm-hmm. wings and then like the light just kind of like shines through like the rips in its wings and stuff like that. And that's how that's how the match is ref. It's from this giant bat head that just like watches from the, the sort yeah. of the roof of the Colosseum. And that's I feel like that was one of those things where he Junior just sent me a drawing of like a giant bat thing. It was like, is this anything? And we were like, Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, let's make that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's that's that was I feel like we're talking a lot about like the craft we put into the work, but I reckon ninety five percent of it is Junior just sent me like cool drawings and was like, can we do anything with this? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That's in the book. That's in the book. Yeah. It's hard to go too wrong. It seems like when that's, uh, when that's the approach. So here's a, here's a broader question. You're both promoting work right now. You have graphic novels coming out in October. It's a challenging time to be trying to, trying to promote a comic. Like, I like Twitter is, it's just dying the slowest death. <laughs> there was a robust and healthy comics community there. People are scattered across social medias. Um, there's a lot of like talk right now, definitely in comics community circles around like the news outlets aren't what they were, you know, websites aren't what they were. I'm definitely seeing on comic book Herald. Like I have, I have stepped back this year and I'm really just kind of prioritizing the things that I'm most excited about, but it's definitely like, like the tides have lowered how are you both going about kind of the the promotion and trying to get the word out aspect of things or or i guess maybe even just broader just like how do you view these shifts and what what are your thoughts on kind of approaches or what can be done um Haas, let's start with you uh it's it's a good question (laughs) there um i mean it's all. I think it's all. I, well, I mean, I, this is the first book I've had to promote as like a writer, but it's always felt difficult um, promoting things. I, I guess, in a sense that, like, I've got like the, I've got like you, the YouTube channel and stuff like that to kind of uh, shout out. But um, it's hard getting people to to care about it, and especially this. I find this is really difficult because this is outside of my. Felix and Macabre is kind of like outside of the normal realm for me because it's a, you know, it, it is a kind of like a mid-grade uh, book. And I don't know, I have no idea how to uh, access that audience. Fortunately, Dark Horse uh, do. <laughs> I'm not doing yeah. a better job than, uh, than I could ever hope to do in that, in that market. But yeah, I think this is a, I think this is a problem. Um, I mean, I, 
I don't know how accurate my feelings about it are, but it, it, I, I have found that for a long time, um, publishers and creators have not necessarily put a lot of stock in comics websites. And I think also comics websites have done the thing that all news and outlet-based websites have done. Not, not, not yours because you're you have. I've, I've never very, been news, so yeah. No, but you've got a very specific niche as well in what yeah. in, in what has drawn. Uh, the, the reason why I found you in the first place as well was for because uh, I had no idea how to read comics in order. <laughs> <laughs> but the, it, it's it's without without um, you know those kind of like news and journalism places. They've done what most news and ju- news journalism places have done, which is. Uh, it, it, I don't want to say this in a polite way, but kind of like they have broken their own system mm-hmm. um, in an unsustainable way, I think. Um, uh, that's difficult to repair, almost impossible to repair, I, I think. Um, and I don't think any, and I think fixing it is naturally leads to a smaller audience anyway. So, for example, like Panel by Panel, we had uh, a smaller audience um, that sustained what we did. But, it, you know, we were never necessarily going to make like big shockwave news because of the smaller audience. Not naturally having a a digital magazine with a price uh, tag would would lead to. So I think sure. this isn't necessarily. I don't think it's necessarily a comics problem. I think it's just a general problem. I think everything is so um, scattered. It's difficult to make waves or uh, make a big announcement anywhere. Um, but I think if you're aware of that, it makes it easier because then you can start targeting specific stuff. So like we talked to Dark Horse about the ways that they wanted to target. Uh, Felix and Mac to to younger audiences, or you know, to librarians and, and schools and stuff mm. like that. And I think that's that's really where things will start to go. But I think you'll just start to get collections. I think you'll start to get collections of like the people that want to read about um, comics as an art form might go to this place or whatever. Um, but I think it's a problem. I think we've spent so long not treating comics like a like an art form. We've spent so long treating it um, like disposable disposable quick media. How how often is like a comic that comes out one week forgotten about like two days later? The news yeah. cycle is so fast and refreshed, um, and we don't talk about it as a we don't we don't treat it. I don't I like I don't think that we treat it seriously enough. I don't think that we we talk about it as a uh, this is, I'm going to, I'll go, I could talk about this for a lot. I could go on about this for a long time, Dave, so you'll have to stop me. But, um, the answer to your question of like, how do you, what do we do in this landscape for me is, is, uh, I have to act to some extent, accept it and then figure out the way that you can target your, your discussion to the people that will, that, to the places that where it actually reach the people that will be interested in your work. Um, that's, 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 you know, easier said than done, but. I think that's the only solution because I don't. I don't think there is a way back to getting like a big, massive outlet that will uh, cover stuff in a way that gets it in front of the people that needs to see it. Right. Which is right. a depressing answer. It's not a very fun answer. <laughs> no, it's it seems challenging, right? It's complicated. It doesn't mean there aren't options. Um, Junie, how are you? You know, you've got a couple books out this month. Obviously, you've got work coming. Um, how do you view this? Do you just kind of deal with it as it comes, or do you have you know kind of a plan? What do you What do you think? I don't really have a plan, uh, mostly because one, I think we underestimate the whole aspect of like the word of mouth aspect of things. Yeah, been I've been told multiple times, uh, including by like comic shop owners and stuff, on that um, my books sell out in like a day when they receive copies. Uh, and it's not necessarily by people who use social media all that much. Right. Uh, and beyond that, there's, um, I always remember like when I first started making comics and selling them, um, I had a friend, uh, with Kugali who sent me a message one day to, to tell me that it was really funny because my books were the ones selling the most of all the selection that they had, but that the reactions were always extreme on one end or another, which is mm. to say either they loved it and they took the, the book and they ran with it, or the judges really didn't like the way it looked. Um, and it was funny to see that despite that, I was still the book that my book was still the one selling the most. Mm-hmm. And the it sort of like cemented it for me as you're going to find your niche, just like Hass was saying, like you're going to find your niche and you're going to function with that niche and you don't need to like be appealing to everyone. Basically. Yeah. 
but that's me. I'm not like I'm not like a big business or anything. I'm just one individual who wants to make books. So my idea is mostly you let your publisher figure out how they're going to promote your book, and you count on the fact that the people who like it are going to give it the support that they can and. After that, it's sort of like out of your hands, at least as a creator of like, there's only so much you can do when you don't like have all the funds, when you can't travel everywhere to promote it and everything. So you do right. what you um, But like even this year, like we have, we have Thought Bubble and then I'm going to Brazil as well. Like there's a bunch of like stuff that we're going to do as, as like events. Um, so that's part of it as well, like being able to sort of interact with people in a more tangible and human way than just making a post on a social media website and and hoping that people will react to that. Right. Yeah. Which was probably, which was maybe never the way to do it, you know, like maybe that reached more eyeballs, but there is that thing of like, okay, this got a lot of retweets, but how many feet did it get into a store (laughs) to buy it? Right. Like, I I do think that there is a, there is like, the books that necessarily are massive on Twitter do not, it doesn't necessarily equate to, yeah. uh, to sales. Um, this is what he says with his fingers crossed and that, that helps with our books. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm sure it varies. I, is there, do you get, do you both of you see like kind of a, you know, like, so in music, right. There was kind of this stretch where it was like, okay, albums don't really sell anymore. And the market has changed now where anyone can stream anything that artists are making a pittance. And then there's kind of a push for like, well, they, they make it back in live, right? If you're big enough and you just tour a bunch, right? Do you feel a pressure to like be at cons more? Like, is there like a live experience or like, like a bookstore feeling? Do, do either of you feel that? I'm, I'm only going to one this year, which yeah. is Thought Bubble with Juni. Sure. Uh, I'm probably only going to go to one next year, which is Thought Bubble. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not, I'm not, uh, it's again. I'm like I'm. I'm not. I might not have a good answer for this because uh, this is the first book as like as a writer I'm promoting. But um, it's it's fun. like doing shows is really really fun and it's really nice to meet it, it, that experience of like meeting people who are buying the thing from you and you getting to sort of see someone come over and be interested in some work and have a, like a little chat with them and stuff. That's awesome. That's like that's a really fun experience because you actually get to see the. It's not just like a like a username. Uh, on Twitter or whatever, saying I really liked it. It's like you get to actually see someone's face, like right. as they buy a thing, and that's really exciting. Um, but realistically, like the amount of stuff that you're going to sell at shows is quite uh, small compared to what hopefully what a comic will sell in a bookshop. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Again, I, like I might say this, and you'll have someone listening who's like, "That's nonsense." I sell hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books uh, throughout the year at different shows. But from my experience uh, as a lonely letterer, uh, I don't think I've sold enough things to just to make it feel like it was it was like a huge business. But uh, it is really fun. It's a really nice experience. Like that's I was why I love Thought Bubble too as a show in the UK. Um, but June, you've done loads more than me as a genius creator. <laughs> yeah, I've done a bunch, uh, and it does work. Yeah, I would say I would. I, how do I put this? I I agree with this sentiment of uh, the main in, the main interest of it is being able to interact with the people who, who like come to buy your stuff. Um, and I don't know how effective it is in changing the balance all that much. Like on Delia, for example, the idea was that I would come to at least one con in the US. Mm-hmm. And I never did. And it didn't change anything. <laughs> it didn't stop the book from getting the, the reception that it got. Um, and yeah, like we already have Mobilis uh, lined up for like a library guild uh, purchase. Mm. So I would assume that it doesn't change much of anything on that front either. Like, and Monkey Meat is by far, it seems, the book that people know most about. Hmm. Like, I I mostly receive messages to tell me, "Hey, I read Monkey Meat and it was great." And I've never done anything outside of like I did a book tour for Monkey Meat in France, but that's basically it. 
Yeah. So, and I don't, yeah, I don't think it changed much of anything, but it is a fun experience. <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah, no, that, that sounds, uh, yeah, it's, no, it's just kind of an interesting time, but I think, I think you all have the healthiest attitude, which is, you know, like let's, let's focus on making great comics. And I mean, I, to the point that you had Junie, I do think I, I'm a little biased in this front cause I, I try to do a thing, but it's like, I do think influencers who <sighs> word of mouth, like you described, but kind of like, you know, just, I don't know, simple things like best of lists and just kind of carefully curated recommendations. I do actually think move the needle quite a bit. Um, yeah. And I can say that, like, I have data to show that just on my end, like the stuff that I put on the, you know, I do a best of list every year and I just add to it throughout the year. And like, I can see the hundreds of people, you know, like clicking on those books and checking those out. Um, I do think it helps. And, you know, I think something like a monkey meat being on everyone's list, <laughs> right, where it really catches a wave, like, to me, that always seems to have more of a tangible impact. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think the lesson here is more publishers should be pursuing, uh, my approval and definitely speaking, <laughs> <laughs> speaking my thumbs up, uh, personally. Um, okay. Let's, let's do a couple one-offs here. Uh, Junie, I want to start with you. You are involved in the three worlds, three moons Substack. Jonathan Hickman, Michael Mundo, Mike Huddleston. You did uh, a really fun short story with them yeah. um about hunting vicious wolf beasts uh what what has that experience been like and and how much involvement will you have going forward uh i don't think i will have any i mean that, that, that didn't come out right i just did one story uh if yeah. they want to have me for more stuff i would be happy to do it that was fun uh but as of now i don't i don't know um, I haven't received any like offers to do anything else. Yeah. Uh, but even like, it's one of those things where like uh, making the story itself and drawing it was fun, but it also allowed me to have like my first interaction with one of my uh, favorite artists. So Mike Del Mundo has gifted me uh, a TMNT poster he made like 10 years ago that yeah. I've been looking for 14 years and just allowed me to have that poster on my wall now so like there's a there's a um, there's a satisfaction outside of just making the thing is what i mean like it's one of those cool yeah. things working in comics as well like there's a there's a plus that goes beyond just making a story there's a there's the there's the human aspect of it as well that's cool yeah no just getting to connect in that way getting yeah like like merch <laughs> like an awesome <laughs> poster out of the deal i mean that's that's so cool i love that yeah just as a fan as well like he has a i sent him a copy of uh yeah a co copies of monkey meat and um the poster the, that i made out of the cover i did for tmnt and street fighter yeah yeah so we like we, we exchanged stuff basically which that's which cool. that's cool dreamed about 10 years ago yeah yeah very fun very fun okay that's good. Yeah. And you did, I should mention too, like we'll include links to the show notes for the work and stuff like that. But, but Junie, you also did get to do a really cool TMNT annual. Um, was that, was that one of those like, like licensed, like dream projects to do the turtles or do you have other ones that are, that are higher on your list? Uh, no, the, the, the turtles were the highest. The, yeah. The, yeah. And I, and I, I sort of harassed them to get to do it. Uh, <laughs> Well, not harassed, but like every time I was like, if you have a spot open, give it to me, which they did. And yeah, I have I have a bit of an obsession. Like I have the, the figures of the four turtles on my table. I, yeah, That's last cool. night I bought the new Shredder figure that they're making out of the Santa Luca design. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I just have a bit of an obsession. Like the annual I did, it's on it's on my wall. I think you can see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I framed it on my wall. So That's awesome. That's so uh, cool. Yeah, I'm a bit obsessed. Yeah, like when you're like, I got a Shredder figure last night. <laughs> like that definitely sells. <laughs> you're, a, you're a true fan. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Haas, question for you. A lot of readers are going to know you through, uh, a lot of listeners are going to know you through panel by panel. Love that magazine. Did such fantastic work. Won an Eisner. Um, it's on a hiatus. What... What are your thoughts on the future or, or do you think like 
it had its run and now you want to do other stuff? No, I really miss it. I actually really miss it. Um, it was one of those things where uh, I, I, Tiffany Babcock, so co-edited the uh, years of it with me. And um, yeah. I think I was speaking to her last year and I think she, I, I think I said she said to me like, "Do you know how long you spend working on this? Like every month?" And I was like, "I don't know." And I, so I thought I'd take a, I thought I'd like, "I'll just count the hours. It won't be that." Like I had like an idea in my head of how long it was. Yeah. And I broke and I and I tracked my hours properly. And uh, I think that was the moment when I was like, "I might need to stop doing this for a little bit." <laughs> and yeah. but even at that point, I think even at that point, it took like another year for me to for it to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of bummed that we didn't get to 100. I would love to have got to 100 issues and then put it on hiatus. But then that was like, that's like another two years. Well, what was <laughs> so, it? It's like 70 no, than something, right? Yeah, longer than two years. Two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah, so I I, I couldn't. It's not. That's, I that's your comics brain getting it. in the way of your happiness where you're like, we, we have to hit the milestone issue. <laughs> but I want to I bring it back. I, 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 I've been trying to figure out what in what form. Um if it's just a couple of issues a year or if it's like we do a print thing or we do like books, books are in my head at the moment. Like I, I, mm. part of me is thinking like maybe there's a book thing. I don't know, but like the, but yes, I'd like to bring it back. I, I absolutely loved putting that magazine together every month. And I like, I, it's really strange that I went from having an, an inbox, like every month full of like articles and essays and just chatting with really cool writers like yourself uh, and then also getting to like, getting to like send them drafts of their work laid out and everything. Like your mind management one was awesome, right? We did we had like a really fun thing that we did. With yeah, the, super cool. Yeah, to mimic the to mimic the borders and stuff in the, in the comic, um, and that was really fun getting to work with people. Uh, um, and just me, and also like people that write about comics are so passionate about comics. Yeah. Like it's it's you can't write about comics if you don't love comics. And that was also really really fun. Was just speaking to people all the time who just loved comics. Um, and that was kind of sad. Like it's been quite sad that I don't really have that in my inbox anymore. Not that yeah. I don't work with people I don't love that love that don't love comics, but like there was just this constant like enthusiasm that hopefully went both ways between me and the, all the various people that wrote on the magazine. So yes, uh, it's a really you said short answers, but this is that was a really long winded way of saying yes, it will be back at some point. I just I just don't know what it will look like yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned the the book aspect. I remember, I think y'all did like kind of a thirty three and a third style. Like mm-hmm. books on on individual works. How how did yeah. those do? Because um, I love that idea. I loved like on the music side of things. I remember I read like a thirty three and a third on like the Beastie Boys Paul's Boutique, and it was like so amazing. Like it made me it increased my love of that album. Like I love that idea for comics. Um, how how did those do? Like did those did people were, the was kicks- there an appetite? Yeah, yeah. The Kickstarter was really successful. I think we funded the Kickstarter in like two hours or something. Mm. Um, it was really. It was, it was, I have, I have such a stressful memory attached to it because we did the Kickstarter for it in, I think, February of 2020. And then like a month later, we were like locked down and we, and shipping those books, packaging and shipping those books at like right at the start of the lockdown was, was so intense, uh, really, really intense. Um, and so I, it's like, I have like a strange connection to them where I look like, I love the books I've got on my I've got this isn't visual, so there's no point in me showing them. Um, but <laughs> it's just for me, yeah. My shelf. Um, and I was like, I was, I was like, these were these were really fun, man. These were, I like they're, they're fun little books, uh, and people really, people seem to really like them. I think they had a good reception. Um, and so part of me is also thinking that there's something in that, like, I don't know, I don't know. But the books did the books did well, as far as what I would say they did. Uh, the reception was really solid. Um, people bought like they, the Kickstarter funded almost immediately, um, which was so cool at the time. I remember uh, me and my wife lived in a motorhome for two years. We had like a midlife crisis, mm-hmm. and I remember that I was uh, in a queue for a burger at Burger King on a su- service station on a motorway <laughs> uh, after our. Um, I think it was when our van had broken down at the, at the service station, the motorway, yeah. and uh, I was just in a queue, and it went live. And then by the time the AA guy had come to like tow our motorhome away, um, it funded. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's insane. So I, I, that part was really, again, weird memory because the motorhome that we were living in had broken down. But the, sure. the, yeah. the, the hot and cold of the moment. 
Um, so I don't know. It's coming. It will come back. I just I, like I'm a big format guy. I like I like formats of things. So I just need to figure mm-hmm. out the right format. I think. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I'm definitely kind of selfishly asking when I when I ask about that one too because I we did a series on CBH called Who Watched the Watchmen, and it was uh, it was Sean Dillon's idea, who I think has has done some stuff for Panel by Panel as well. Mm-hmm. And he kind of co-edited it with me, and we um, the the idea was basically what are all the comics that came out after Watchmen that were like influenced by or commenting on right and that sort of thing. And one thing Sean pitched was like we should make this a book now that it's done. And in my head, I'm just like so scared of the idea of like no one will buy this. <laughs> no, I think, I, think, I really think there is an appetite for it. Yeah. I really think there's an appetite for it. Sean, I mean, Sean wrote, um, Sean is good for books too. Like Sean knows what he's talking about when it comes to books. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta do that for sure. I'll buy it. <laughs> okay, there we go. We got, we got one. Um, amazing. So we got the unlikely story of Felix and McCaver coming out. We got uh, Mobilis from Junie. Uh, Junie, you have a story that just came out, I think yesterday as we're recording this, uh, Harley, Harley Quinn, Red, White, and Black. I'm sure you're lettering a boatload of books right now as well. Um, before I let both of you go, what what do you want to plug, or just what have you been reading lately that is awesome and you want people to know about? Uh, Junior, let's start to you first. Ah, uh, I don't really have anything to plug, um, and I mean I'm right in the middle of like superhero stuff at the moment, so I have a pile of Darwin Cook books. Yeah, and assuming. Assuming anyone who's listening to this hasn't read any Darwin Cook book in their life, I probably would recommend absolutely every one of his books. Yeah. I haven't read the Watchmen stuff he's done yet. Mm. I think that's the last thing I need to read. Before Watchmen, uh, Minutemen is, yeah. is interesting. It is. It's, it's the, that is definitely the book that I think of the Before Watchmen project that at least myself is like, that's the one that kind of has some merit. Uh, because it's Cook, yeah, and, and because he has interesting artistically, at least there's there's a lot to follow and some ideas there that work pretty well. Um, okay, if if you so so read Darwin Cook, I think is a, a standard wreck. Um, <laughs> how about how about this? This is just a selfish request, Junie. What's your favorite French comic? Because no. I I'm getting chastised by European readers that I am a simple American with simple tastes <laughs> and I need some, I need some advanced French comics recommendations. Oh my God. Uh, ah, that's way too many. Uh, yeah. Cause like, he loves, he loves to uh, That's his favorite. Well, I'm, I'm not sure that I would recommend him to be honest. <laughs> um, let's, I'm, I'm trying to look for like, Hmm. Lucky Luke. He loves lucky Luke as well. Carbon and silicium. Which carbon and silicium, which is a massive sci-fi book. The art is gorgeous, and it's one of those very uh, intelligent sci-fi books. Like it's it's about two cyborgs trying to survive as the as humanity is slowly dying over the course of like several hundred years, Amazing. and it's magnificent. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, I would recommend that one. Perfect, thank you, Haas. What do we got for plugs and Rex? Um, I'll take Lucky Luke if we're if we're talking French comics. I can't yeah. get enough of Lucky Luke. Yeah, it's it's absolutely. And plus, they they have it in English as well for uh, people like me whose French is um, lacking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or Blueberry, if you if you've got slightly more advanced French. I've been uh, trying to up my French by reading Blueberry. I was just roughly. I was just the pace of one page a day. <laughs> Okay, that's an interesting way to do it. I was just complaining that it's not like translated. Like it's like this is Moebius. Like how is this stuff not super available for an American audience? Mm-hmm. But uh, but that's an interesting way to go about it. Just teach yourself French by yeah. By well, that's it. I mean that's as a kid that's why I read a lot of French comics, uh, yeah. and I don't know French anymore. I mean, I, as a kid, I knew this much French, and now I know this much French. But mm. uh, yeah, I've been I've been I've been reading it at. This the way it goes is I read half of a page and I and I text Junie and I go, What the hell is this phrase? Why, like <laughs> yeah. what is it? I like I can translate it, but it doesn't mean anything to me. It's just a mm. weird Frenchism. And he's like, Yeah, that what was the one I asked you about recently? It was like you told me it was like a, an old set of drawers, but it meant like it meant like someone was a, a bad guy or something. Uh it's like a, it was like a, a rag of a drawer a drawer full of rags or something, and it was like an old uh, insult. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, where was he again? I can't remember. <laughs> it was. It was that, and that, I'm like, I'm like reading it, and I'm like, turn to my wife, I'm like, is this? Because she could read better French than me. I'm like, is this? Am I reading this right? Is this a, yeah. a chest of drawers with with rags in it? She's like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> why is that guy saying that to this other guy? Like, why is a ca- one cowboy saying that to that other cowboy? I don't understand. Um, uh, but yeah, anyway, so I, yeah, those I'd recommend those. I, I just I just am um, halfway through is um, Thieves by uh, Lucy. I think it's Lucy Bryant, um, which is a lovely little story about two I think college students who sort of fall in love, but one of them goes. Um, they go to where they meet at the party. And one of them gets so drunk that they just end up stealing a bunch of stuff from this house. And it turns out to be the house of the person that they've fallen in love with. And they don't know how to deal with giving all this stuff they've stolen back. Yeah. Um, oh, this beautiful. is, uh, a yeah, yeah. Book. Our, uh, our co-host, my co-host on my moral this year, uh, Charlotte Fierro is French and she's recommended this one for a few years now. So I, okay. Now I, now I for sure have to, which doesn't mean I didn't trust you, Charlotte. I just, I'm hearing it now again. <laughs> I yeah, I was, been, I was reading that last night. I couldn't, I, I only put it because I've got a little cold and I only put it down because I physically couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. I was, that, <laughs> yeah. that was, that was really, that was really, really good. Uh, and then the other thing that I uh, read recently uh, was uh, That Texas Blood, which I'm a big, I love That Texas Blood. So I yeah. finished the latest That Texas Bloods. Um, and also Junie's book, but I read it a while ago, but I'll pretend like I read it more recently to plug it. Um, Mobilist, but I, I mean, I read that. That was a long time ago, but it was good. It was also, it's still good. It's so good that it's, it's, it's almost like I read it yesterday. It's, it's so good. I, I, I feel, it feels like I read it yesterday. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, strong recommendations here. This is awesome. Uh, thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Again, for everyone listening, we'll include links to the works here in the show notes. Uh, but it's the unlikely story of Felix McCaver, out from Dark Horse Comics. Check it out. It's a good one. Uh, Junie Haas, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you.